when you do everything someone else is not doing or go to places where people don't want to be, there's always going to be an opportunity. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to Weiss Advice, and I am your host, Yona Weiss. With me today is the one and only Mike Ely. What's going there on, my go, friend? Baby. It's, what's <laughs> up, baby, man? Weiss Advice. Man, this, I'm already excited to be on the show, man. What are you talking? With that DJ voice, man. <laughs> Shoot. Ooh, and we're going to be right back with our greatest hits <laughs> after this. But first, let me tell you a little about Michael. Mike is the CEO and founder of Nassau Investments. He's a multifamily investor currently with over 1,200 units under management with a goal of having over a billion dollars of assets under management in the next seven years. He is the author of an incredible book, which I urge you to check out. I'm going to put it in the show notes. It's called From Broke to Millions. Incredible story. There it is. If you're watching the video, you see it right there, From Broke to Millions. Incredible story. Mike, today, I'd love for you to just share with me because you have, I mean, one of the most incredible stories that I've heard. So yeah, what's going on? How are you doing today? Man, it's great. Now, before we get into this, man, first of all, man, Yona, I just want to tell you, thank you, man. You know, not just for me, but for everybody. You truly are a giving person. I mean, ever since I met you on Bigger Pockets, your goal was always to uplift or put somebody else on the pedestal so they could shine their light. And man, many blessings coming back to you for that. And one thing I did miss the Passover, but I don't want to forget my gift. I do seriously need your address for your synagogue because I do want to put a gift in your name because, man, I appreciate you that much. And I appreciate what you do for this community out here, man. So I just, if y'all, I'm sure y'all already know, but this man, I mean, he helps elevate the game. And even whether you trying to do something, he still wants to, pull you up even higher. So, man, thank you for all you do, not just for me, but for everybody in this community, brother. I appreciate that. I appreciate that, Mike. I <laughs> I will get that to you. Um, this, was, serious, this, this, this was not a paid advertisement in any way. <laughs> <laughs> We're already having a great time here today. I'm really looking forward to this interview. I do appreciate those kind words, Mike. And, and and uh, I know it's coming from the heart. So words from the heart go into the heart. It's a true message. So thank you. So let's hear, I mean, from broke to millions without spoiling, you know, the book. Yeah, yeah. At what point in your life was it that you realized that you had to pivot and take a trajectory in a different direction? Well, for me, man, I, I, I kind of mapped this out early, man. I was 15, 16 years old, I saw that there was money out there. And I was like, well, how can I get it? Because I just didn't understand, like, how is this guy a billionaire and this guy's got multi-millions, but these people over there are broke and don't have any money. And I started reading books. I went to the library and i never forget at the time, junk bonds was the way to uh, make money. And the minimum investment was $50,000. Yeah. And so I looked at that book and I 
put it back on the shelf because I was like, I don't have $50,000. And uh, I came across Robert Allen, No Money Down, in the 90s, man, it, it changed my life. And ever since then, I kept planning to do it. I think I was like 15, 16 years old. And I said, all right, I'm going to do entertainment. And, you know, I was doing concerts and parties. And I was like, I'm going to roll into this real estate. And, and that was the, what, what actually changed it. I always had this kind of hustle in me, man. Ever since I was growing up, you know, had a newspaper route, did lawn care, you know, washing cars, whatever I could do to make some money, I did it, man. And, and that, but that, that book was the one that changed. Yeah, so for, for people that don't know about this, Robert Allen, I mean, no money down. And I think you've... You teach this, and I know that you know you, t- you spoke about how we first connected with Bigger Pockets. I came across a post that you had done, which you have done so many of them, just literally sharing case studies, stories yes. of real deals, you know, with all the details. And a lot of them are this kind of you know, common theme of owner financing, yes. right? No money or little money down. Oh, how do you? How do you do that? I mean, what's what's the secret in, in getting that uh, to do? <laughs> the secret was I was broke, so I had to be <laughs> I had to be creative. You know, uh, unfortunately, I didn't grow up around people uh, that you know had uh, extra capital or just money. Period, which whichever one, and so. Uh, I had to figure out ways how I can get into these deals a little cheaper. So I had to be resourceful trying to do a deal. And so I had to stay in areas where the market was, you know, lower cost of entry. So that's why I started in doing in F and D neighborhoods. Now I don't encourage that. Trust me. I don't encourage, but if that's where you got to start, go for it. That's where I began. And when you upgrade to these C and B, A areas, man, the game changes. You really understand it. You don't have to really be a penny pincher, I'll say. Now, you always want to control your cost, but, you know, you can really start spending money on your deals where when you at a D and F neighborhood, you got to be really resourceful. Uh, You got to be really connected with your tenants. And and you got to really, at the time, because the internet was not as a... available to everybody in in those areas. And so I couldn't just go online and put on Craigslist and hoping I'll get tenants. I had to do what they call guerrilla marketing. I literally had to go door to door to agencies and put flyers and tabs at all the stores and everything where every people lived at. And that's how I was able to get tenants by doing that because nobody wanted to live down there. You know, I mean, it was the wild, wild west. And now after I leave, uh, well, as I left, because I got bought out, it, they got regenerified. Now it's known in Cincinnati as OTR in the West End. And if anybody from Cincinnati, they know what that used to be like. Well, so you were going in literally like in the trenches, right? Yes, you know, where truly. people, and I guess there's a lot more opportunity, I, I guess you would say, because there are not a whole lot of people going after those type of assets. And, um, you know, certainly they were, you know, under developing neighborhoods, but going in there and bringing up the value of those assets was really, you know, a huge opportunity. Do you think that's still available today? Like for the same, you know, someone who uh, would be kind of in those shoes starting out today? 
Well, naturally, when you do everything someone else is not doing or go to places where people don't want to be, there's always going to be an opportunity. The thing is, do you have the tenacity and commitment to, to finish that, man? Because mm -hmm. it's, it's challenging. Like, you know, I was in Lincoln Heights. These are all war zones, literally. Like, I was in, <laughs> we bought a house and literally, we're rehabbing it. The next day, someone gets shot in front of the house, right? In the street. Then the people retaliate the next day. They literally physically ran the person over in the car. Wow. Okay. Then the next day, someone else gets shot. That now I don't remember what day I am. The fourth day, I had people like, hey, I want to live right there. I was like, where? <laughs> Where that guy got ran over and shot out, I was like, okay, you can have it. Oh, man. You know, so those were the type of areas I was in, man. Uh, I don't regret it. I learned a great deal from that. I learned how to structure my deals, how to not leverage, how to under leverage, how to market to people, how to relate to people, understanding people's situation. I mean, I already knew that, but it truly got me in perspective on, on the reality of people's situations. Sure. And what we go through. So, you know, the one plus thing is I'm able to look in people's through their own eyes, through their own shoes that they wear and really understand where they came from and relate. And that's I think that's one thing that separates us. We're always looking for the best for our community and our people. Right. And and we didn't cheap be cheap because we're in a, a low areas. I actually did our best work in those areas. I, I would go to these high-end houses that would sell for three, four hundred thousand dollars, and I was like, "Dude, y'all putting linoleum down? You putting? Uh, you're not even putting granite on the countertops? We were putting like accent walls in multiple rooms, tubs around tile, and and I, I just, you know, we did our best. Let's just say that. And and from there, we made money, and that was the beginning of my career. Wow. And so now, I mean. Right now, do you see any areas that you're going into currently, you know, after having you know, been, been doing this for, you know, for 20 years or so, areas where you see there's a lot of opportunity that a lot of other people are not looking at? Or are you just kind of going along with what works for everyone else? Yeah, no. So I'm, I'm kind of moving away from that. So, so another thing that I did that was opportunities where I knew areas were going to change, right? I always bought in the pocket. And so like, let's say I knew the highway was coming. So I bought up that whole area and I bought it for pennies on the dollar. I like 500, 1,000, 2,000. Next thing you know, they came back and bought it from me for 80 to 200,000. And I expected that to happen five, six years from now. That happened in less than two and a half years. I did the same thing again where right actually down the street from my office is kind of sea area, but like Queens, Queens, uh, Queen City, Westwood, right? They're expanding the highway, this viaduct, they're buying part of that. And I was like, you know what, let me buy over there. Cause I was like, it's the same principle. And I did it. Now they expand it. They put in this big river walk in there. It's going to be a destination area, the same return. Uh, it actually took, it's actually probably going to take the full five, seven years to do, but the value's already increased. Mm -hmm. I just, 
I don't want to do that anymore. It, it takes up time. Even sitting vacant, I got issues. The city's finding you now. It's not like it used to be. And I guess that's why the opportunities are different. But like now, houses are flying off the shelf. Like it, it doesn't matter where it is, how low. Like we're seeing areas where houses should used to only sell for thirty, forty thousand. They're selling for a hundred and fifty thousand dollars now. Wow. It's ridiculous. The the new starter home is where in Cincinnati and Midwest used to be one thirty, one fifty. It's now one seventy five to two seventy five, and that all changed in the last two or three months, right in this COVID. Wow, why do you think that is? Why is that happening? Well, a couple of things, you know. One, the millennials. They're finally, they need places to go, man. It's, it's just one of the bigger markets out there that's growing and expanding. And they now, with this COVID, it's a couple of, a couple of things. With the COVID, these companies are now saying, hey, go fix your office up at home. Here's some money. Uh, increase your internet. And so people are like, well, I can go anywhere and live now. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you throw in these low interest rates where they can buy cheaper than they can rent and get a real house. That's a combination of, of, you know, that's, well, that was one of the reasons why they kept dropping the rate. They wanted the economy to keep booming, but the demand for housing is, it's, it's crazy now. I mean, we're starting to, we're starting to finally, like Mark Twain always said, if anything happens, I'm moving to Ohio because it'll happen, you know, 100 <laughs> years later. And well, that 100 years later is happening now. The demand for housing, I know it's kind of going everywhere, but in the Midwest, we're spiking, uh, not with COVID, but uh, the demand for housing is increasing rapidly. So even to get a house, you got to know somebody now. Like it goes on the MLS and tomorrow you got multiple offers. Uh, way over asking price, right? Mm-hmm. Past 10,000 over asking price. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay, so let me just switch gears here for a little bit because, I mean, you have an incredible story. I hope a lot of people check out your book because to learn about how you did that. But it sounds like you, you had a, a start. You had that drive from the beginning. What's, you know, some of the things that kind of pushed you and motivated you? And maybe you can share a couple of tips for people how to keep that uh, motivation. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I just had this drive, man. Even, even when I was younger, man, like my, my grandfather, my, my mom, parents, they just said there was something different about you. And I was like, well, different? Like, am I weird? What's going <laughs> on? <laughs> am I a goofball or something? It was like, no, you, you were kind of smart. And, but you just had this vision and you were open. And, you know, I, I take it from my grandfather, like he had multiple businesses, you know, not even really seeing that growing up because he lived four hours away from me. But he was a pastor and he, he had four different churches. He owned the dry cleaners. He owned a different store. And then my other grandfather on my other side, which I never even got this to meet, he used to work for the railroad. But he had a little farm. And so after he had all his food from the farm, he fed his community. Oh. They were always asking barn because they didn't have money and they never paid him back, but he always kept giving. And, and then whenever they wanted something, they just built it. 
They didn't ask anybody. They didn't go borrow from anybody. They just built their own home. And I think all those things uh, passed down through the generations of my mom and my dad, and I was the one. Yeah, it sounds and, like And I just had that desire. Like, I, I just knew there was something better out there. And I kept dreaming and, and kept thinking bigger. And, and, and then I was, when I saw somebody else do it, I was like, well, maybe I can do that. I, was, I like to say, uh, and some people get mad at me, but I was like, I was dumb enough to believe it could happen to me. <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, it, it's about, it's, I love what you said about, you know, having that people in your family that believed in you. And, you know, they gave you that message. They communicated that message with you at such a young age that when you hear those encouraging words, you believe it, you know, from someone who's bigger than you, someone that you look up to, someone, you believe that. And I I truly believe that may have been the most powerful thing for you. You know, everyone has innate talents and um, everybody's got a superpower. Everybody got a superpower. Yeah. And we all have so much potential and children, especially, you know, when you give them that encouragement and, and kind of show them, you know, where you see them, where they can be, that's, that's really right. what's going to give them the, the power to, to be great. That's right. That's right. So what are you working on now? You're working on a multifamily, but, but I, I know you're working on hotels as well, which is interesting because that's an industry, the hospitality industry, especially with what's going on now has taken such a big hit. Yes. What's your vision, you know, with the hotel industry and why are you so passionate about it? Man, uh, first of all, what, what attracted me, two things attracted me to hotels. I saw how much money those things were making. It was ridiculous. I was like, oh, I, I got I to gotta get me a hotel. But that was one. Then, as in your line, I've, I've learned about cost segregation and appreciation and depreciation. I was like, holy smoke. It was owning a hotel, let me just tell you. I thought I'd never be so happy to see this, but because of my depreciation check, I got a check. Well, a K-1 for a negative $770,000. I thought seeing something like that, I would be very upset and crying. That was the happiest day of my life. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that that carried over that I didn't have to pay uh, federal taxes on that. But another big thing is I got to know people personally and I just saw they were different people, like the, mm. the culture, their life. They were like, I know this is weird, but like I really got entry because I saw everybody smiling. Everybody knew the new hotels. They smiling. They just happy and they're doing deals and they're like, oh, I got this hotel over there. And then I was like, but I don't never see you go to work. What are you doing? <laughs> and it was like, look, man, it's the system, the way it's set up. You guys, you can hire people. Yeah, you got the, managers, you got the whole managers thing, you know? bringing in that kind of income that you can hire quality staff that can operate your buildings. And do extremely well. And you bonus them. You pay them well. And I was like, man, that's something where I want to be. And then I saw multiple people. And these are the small guys. This is the other thing. They were saying that uh, I was meeting people that had 10, 12 hotels. And and understand, every hotel, if you are branded Marriott Court, you know, Hilton brand, et cetera. I said, I don't care how you look at it. It's about nine to 10 million in a hotel, at least. Some 15 or more. There's mm-hmm. 30, 50 million. But at least you spent 10, 12 million. Well, these people got 10, 15 hotels, 150 million, 200 million in assets. And everybody was calling them small. 
just like, what, what world am I in? And then I, I never forget a guy comes to me and he says, uh, I'm what you call like a boutique shop. I said, okay, yeah. I have over a billion dollars in hotels. And I was like, what in the hell is a boutique and billion having the same? <laughs> right. It's like an like oxymoron. <laughs> and, and so from those meeting those people, that's why I wanted to get in the hotels. And then they were easy to manage. It's easy to, uh, the, to scale up on those. Mm -hmm. and, and the opportunities are, are even greater because it's not a real, it's a competitive, but not as much as apartments and houses. And so you got to have a certain appetite for that. But when these things are moving, you're making a lot of money, man. And, and, and your wealth and your, your, these depreciations you can take. And then in addition, the money and, and just buying more deals is ready accessible. Mm -hmm. and, and now with the market, we were actually in process of doing about $150 million, $200 million deal before COVID. And then it happened and financing naturally fell apart. And who wanted to because of all the uncertainty? Although I was a little upset, but actually I was extremely happy because now the hotels are being discounted extremely. Matter of fact, I'm end up taking majority ownership on the new hotel. It's a $10 million deal. I'm going to take majority ownership for $500,000. Wow. Because I'm covering them through the downfall. Mm-hmm. I'm coming in, I'm going to take 70, 75% of the deal. Wow. It's, it's a great market. These are the type of opportunities that, and there's going to be more and more deals like this. I, I think so. That's, that's, that's really incredible. So here's another, you know, opportunity, you know, another time yes. where, where opportunities are happening and, and vacancies in, in hotels and the hospitality industry are hit very hard and they're probably going to be continued to, to be hit for, for some time. But, but I think, I think they're going to bounce back. You know, I think, yeah, stuff is going to start happening again. I, at least I hope so. Um, I know, you know, I think we all hope so, but, but it's interesting how you said that, you know, there's a lot of these kind of small guys, right. Who are mm -hmm. own, own only like 10 to 20 hotels. And they're like they're like the small fish, which is interesting because it's, there are obviously these, you know, multi-billion dollar corporations that own, you know, you know, dozens, hundreds of hotels out there. But I think the vast majority of, you know, hotel owners are, have under 10 hotels under ownership, you know, so there's, yeah. you know, people yeah. with family and there are tons of, you know, Indians and, and Chinese and that's yep. maybe stereotypical. But if you, you know, if you go to the hospitality events, like that's, that's who's there. That's, that's all like you 70, see. You 70, see. 80% of the people there. Yeah. Majority Indian, uh, then, then you see white and then uh, limited blacks. There's a few, but quite frankly, I was surprised. I, man, I met a lot of brothers that got some big portfolios. Matter of fact, one of the guys I met, couldn't believe it. He was just, we were at a conference and, and I talk about him in my webinar. He's got this sweatsuit, nothing on, no watch, no nothing. Just uh, matter of fact, a little cheap sweatsuit at that. And I'm just talking, and and the guy walks up to me. He's like, Mike, do you know who you talk to? Because I was just random conversation. He's like, yeah. you know who you talk to? It's like, yeah, this is uh, such and such. And he says, uh, yeah. And he holds up this magazine, and he's on the guy's on the cover, and I'm looking. I was like, holy, what? And he owned like a billion dollars worth of hotels and has the biggest hotel in D.C. 
Marriott Marquis. And I was just like, I was so amazed at all these different things. Like he's, he's got hotels that are worth, you know, 70 to a hundred million. That's awesome. Multiple hotels. So So it's a a lot about the networking, you know, it's about who you know and, and the, you know, getting in touch with the right people. That's what this business is, is a lot. I think it's incredible what you're doing because you're kind of creating that for a lot of people in, in how you're coaching people, you are guiding, you have kind of these courses that you're doing that are showing people how to build build their wealth through investing in real estate without right. necessarily, you know, the, the capital, you know, to yes. do so. Yeah, no, man, I, I want to show people that, that they too, as I was treated growing up, that they have the capacity to be wealthy or at least change their paradigm to, to put money in their bank account to cross the six-figure mark. And my superhero power really is teaching. That's, I'm a better teacher than anything. I mean, but I come from, and my family, either a preacher or a teacher. And so I was more of a sinner than a preacher. So I said, I'll just be a teacher. Okay. (laughs) 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 But I always love to teach. I've always been teaching, but it's a win-win. I, you know, and I don't hold it. Like I want to do more deals. I need to raise more capital, do more deals. I got to train people to get out here. And uh, because like I said, my, my surrounding was not that. Well, I wanted to create this cold market and make it a hot market, create our own community so we can go out there and do deals. And they're comfortable because you get out here with these big guys, they go, you know, man, they just try to take over. I'll never forget when I had, uh, I had a big deal. I was doing a development. We had this uh, billion dollar firm in the deal. And he was just straight trying to bully you, man, just because we were small guys. And I was like, I don't care, man. I won't do the deal. Like, get out. Like, who cares? But that's one thing I also teach people. Like, just because people have money don't mean you make them a partner. You know, don't go for that. Don't go for the money. Go for the relation. Go for the long game. And Mm -hmm. if you guys can work together, you know, do it. Like, I've literally turned down millions of dollars from investors. And trust me, when I did that, it, it hurt because I needed that money. But I was just, it's not a good fit. Yeah, and it's like smart. a marriage. You know, if, if, you, if some of you have been out there married, married you, you know being married, you go through ups and downs regardless. But if you're not a good fit and y'all don't love each other, man, it's going to be messy. It's a dog fight. And, and I just, I don't want that. I just want everybody to be happy. We're going to have tough times. I want to be able to talk it through and make it through. And that's, that's the difference with us. We want a relationship because we feel that we have these deals that may get passed on to your children. And we want to make sure that we're passing those moral and ethical uh, ways of, of doing deals or customary. That's awesome. I love that approach. That's, uh, you know, it's creating the generational wealth, but it's creating it in the way that you want it to be, just like your family would be, you know, the, your assets and your wealth should be of the same, you know, the same uh, values you know, what and principles. I, what I really want is, uh, you know, I wish you, you know, I'm teaching people real estate and you're teaching tax advice and segregate. I really wish you teach me about this beard game. <laughs> you know, <you're, laughs> I mean, <laughs> I've tried, brother, but you, your game is so tight. I'm just like, man, how, how can I get to that status, baby? 
uh, <laughs> that's a special uh, <laughs> the it's something can be taught you know it's just, uh, it's just <laughs> oh mike it's been amazing i want to jump right into the final four over here yes sir yes sir so first question i have for you what's the worst job that you ever had matt you know what it's, and you asked me and this just hit me you uh what motivated you to really get into Actually, it was my mom making me clean up the house growing up. Oh, I couldn't stand it, man. I hated cleaning. And she didn't let us just like use a mop. She made us use a toothbrush and a rag, and we had to scrub every little corner like we in the military, man. Oh, man. It was horrible. And because of that, it motivated me like, when I get older, I'm going to be able to hire me a maid or somebody. You know, somebody's going to do this for me. Yeah, that's a true sign of an entrepreneur. You know, if you if you see your kids and they just can't stand it, you know, you know they're an entrepreneur. <laughs> that's a that's a good sign. Uh, second question: Is there a book that you've read that's giving you a paradigm shift? And it has been quite a few. Uh, you know, naturally the, the rich dad, poor dad. I mean, that was the first time I read a book. I was like, oh, somebody understands me. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, especially the cash flow quadrant. But really, the last book lately was the Outliers, because it gave me clarification on why it was so important to have a commitment, being passionate have an unconditional love and discipline because he goes on to talk about uh, Malcolm Gladwell. If you haven't read if you haven't read, you just need to read all Malcolm Gladwell books. Okay. okay. But <laughs> if you haven't read outlier, it, it, it talked about the similar trait of having 10,000 hours. And, mm-hmm. and first of all, you can't even do 10,000 hours in a year. It's just not humanly possible. There's not enough time a day. And so, when I realized, like, man, at the most, it will take you two and a half, three years to put 10,000 hours in. That's why people say you got to have a commitment and then be passionate about it because who wants to put 10,000 hours into anything, right? You know, everybody wants that instant gratification, but it takes discipline. And because of that, Bill Gates, he was already ahead of the game. Instead of sneaking out, of the house to go to a party, he would sneak out of the house to sneak in the university to go play on a computer, to code and program. Uh, the Beatles, they played in a bar seven days a week, eight hours a day. They mastered these violinists and multiple people that were mm-hmm. successful. They all had this commitment of 10,000 hours. Just to understand like 4,000 hours, uh, you can teach 8,000 hours, you're good. But 1,000, so. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you going to put 10,000 years? Yeah, no, there you that's go. That's true. Yeah, that's absolutely true. The more you, you know, more time you put into it, the better you get. That's, but it's, I love what you say that because it's really, it's that vision of thinking about, you know, two, three, four, five years from now, yes. not where I'm at now and, and what I want right. to get now. So that's all. That's a great, great suggestion. Third question. What is a skill or talent that you'd like to learn? Man, you know what? I'm I'm learning it, man. It's it's weird. I love technology uh, because when there's something I want to learn, I get on and I just YouTube it. And people's like, man, you get on my nerves because you look at something and you just figure it out. And I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know what you don't see. I don't see. It tells you step by step what to do. I still screw. Now, here's the thing. 
even if it shows me I still screw up multiple times, but I just don't quit until I mm-hmm. figured it out. And I really wanted to learn video editing. I, I loved it and I needed it for what, especially what we do. And oh man, I fell in love with lighting and microphones and, and I actually spilled over and did it for my church and I got them all set up and, and I'm sharing with other people. So that was a skill I wanted to learn and, and, and I'm practicing it and I'm applying it, man. So that, that, that was something. I love entertainment. I want to produce a movie eventually. It's a great idea. I think you'd make your story make a great, uh, make a great movie. Yeah, maybe. maybe a documentary. Maybe a documentary. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, yeah. Well, what about, you know, let's just, let's just take to the last and final question here. What's the, what does success mean to you? Oh, man. That's, that's easy, man. Success, you know, yeah, we want to throw some money in there, right? You know, uh, obtaining goals, right? Uh, you, know, what, you know, being able to hit your goals, but yet, Changing my family and community is, mm-hmm. is essential. So it's the why of success, right? My goal, yes, I wanted to make money, right? But, and I thought like 5 million would be a good number because at the time, 5 million, you know, 1 million used to be you're wealthy, but 5 million, you're well off, right? That's, that's what you read. Mm-hmm. And then after I learned that, I was like, 5 million is not enough. That's just... And they say, what's enough, enough. But I looked at it, I was like, well, if I made a billion dollars, I can really put a dent in, in the community, in the world. And so, but look, for people that don't even have money, that, that, that doesn't really define success. Success is being able to have a family that loves you and keeping that family together, right? Mm-hmm. And then help change in your community. And it's just with my superpower, my gift is educating and building wealth. And so with that, I can use that to change my community. And I've been doing that. And that's success, you know, actually executing your dream, whether it's you want to be the football player that runs a thousand yards a, a season, whether you want to be VP or you want to start your nonprofit and you just want to feed one family a year to millions of family a year. Taking one, setting a goal and, you know, surpassing and accomplishing that, that's success. And being able to apply it to your family and your friends and changing your environment, uh, that's success to me. That's awesome. I love that. Love that answer, Mike. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time, spending yeah, the time man. with me today and sharing some of this incredible knowledge and wisdom you know, imparting that with, with our audience today. So I appreciate you. Hey, thanks a lot, brother. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me again. Thanks for what you do for everybody, man. If you don't know, man, I mean, you know, man, I I remember he called us up, man, I want to talk to you. Just call me. And I call him up. Hey man, he didn't ask about him. He said, Hey, I got this lone guy in New York. I want you to talk to. I said, well, what do you want? Don't worry about me, man. Just call this guy. I think he can help you. And that's that's what you always doing, man. I just I applaud you. I appreciate you, man. You the man, brother. That's all I got to say, man. Thanks for what you do. And, and it don't even matter who you are. He still gives you a voice. You a little controversial. I didn't know that, man. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm probably the most controversial person. <laughs> 
Awesome. Well, thank you again. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in once again. And remember, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn, send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you. Welcome back to Weiss Advice, and I am your host, Yona Weiss. With me today is the one and only Mike Eli. Am I pronouncing your name correctly? Uh, no, but no. I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> Ely, baby. Ely. Ely. Okay. Hey, but, but you came on so smooth. I'm going to start this. Let's, let's start. I really, I, I, you were so smooth with it. I was just like, man, shoot. I was on the DJ show. Like, where did he come from? <laughs> okay, we're starting this over. <laughs>